Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House One. It is agreed in electric utility circles that storage is the big challenge. If the deployment of wind and solar alternative energy is to continue at the pace that it has been going, which is pretty hectic. I turn therefore today to CPS Energy in San Antonio, Texas, which for this program is a reference point. It is a municipally owned gas and electric utility and its challenges are representative of the national ones, but it is also technologically progressive. I'm joined from San Antonio by Paul Gold Williams, president and CEO of uh, CPS Energy, and Frank Almaraz, chief power sustainability and business development officer of CPS Energy. And Frank, I'm not gonna read that title out again, <laughs> uh, Paula, Frank, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, Paula, uh, how is it? In, you've had some bad weather. Everything better in San Antonio? Well, uh, as always, Llewellyn, thanks for the opportunity to talk about San Antonio and Texas. Um, you know, obviously, we're continuing to deal with the aftermath, the tsunamis, as I say, of Winter Storm Uri. We we're living in the aftermath from a affordability perspective for our customers. And so I would say that while the weather has improved generally, uh, it has left a big amount of pressure on individual customers. I mean, the, the reality of how difficult uh, weather could be and the implications to the grid, and then even more so the, the ramification of this big, big bill for the community it's weighing on people's minds here. And so um, we haven't had really bad weather systems uh, since Erie, but we've had some. We've had a couple of storms over the previous weekend. We had a storm last night with hail that damaged some homes extensively. And so again, what we find are people are just very nervous about the implications of weather and they're nervous about you know, what do we not know? What have we not been able to resolve either by commercial terms, uh, policy, work, working with elected officials, or litigation. So that that element of being living in the unknown and the aftermath, I think, is with us for some time now. How about hardware, your system? Have you spent money and effort in weatherizing it? We have a diverse portfolio of generation uh, generating units, and we actually have been working on a program to to weatherize our plants for for since 2015. Uh, there were a lot of uh, analyses that were done for us that we use as a checklist to weatherize our plants. And so, you know, there have been many claims that there were no efforts in weatherization, and that's just not true. We made them. Um, I think if we had seen similar levels of storm that had occurred in 2011, uh, we would have been fine. But this was, I think, about five times worse. And so I think the industry, and ERCOT in particular, uh, needs to work with the participants and experts to reset the standards because we met the standards and did everything we needed to do on our checklist, but obviously there's more to come. I should just add that ERCOT is the Texas grid, which is unique in that it's not part of the national grid. I'll just add that we spent $17 million after the 2011 event uh, where uh, our state grid was forced to shed load the last time, that was 10 years ago. And by the end of this summer, we'll have spent an additional $4 million. And all of that 
oriented at not just meeting the standards that uh, the society for uh, that that would govern this, um, the engineering society that governs this would indicate, but exceeding them. And as Paula noted, this was much greater than what we saw in 2011. And we have lessons to learn uh, from that. And we were going to take them seriously and take quick action from them. Um, I, I mentioned in the introduction that storage is the great challenge as we move into wind and solar and anything else that is diverse. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not easily stored electricity. You are really looking at storage very seriously. How is that coming along, Frank? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. We have a flex power bundle, which is an all source um, request for proposal process that's out uh, in the market. It, we have received hundreds of proposals. We're very excited about it, uh, just a tremendous response. One component of that is storage. Um, so the entire proposal is 900 megawatts of solar, 500 megawatts of firming capacity, and 50 megawatts of storage. And we've received lots of interest from uh, different types of storage, from energy, from uh, battery storage to compressed air to uh, uh, compressed, uh, you know, other fluids and other advanced technologies. So there's lots of interest, and we have a great deal of interest ourselves in making sure that that's there and a resource that can provide supporting power for renewables, which are intermittent, as you noted. Frank, uh, what is firming? Firming power. Firming backup. What what is it? Right. So when you know, if you take back the clock fifty years ago, and you would have uh, power generation stations that ran all the time, those would be baseload, and then you would have some that ran uh, most of the time, and then some that only ran when you needed the power the most. Well, fast forward to today, and our customers have different ways to be able to manage their consumption. And we have solar and wind, which are intermittent resources that we don't uh, control. Well, now we need to have resources, generation supply that can come on when load, when our customer demand increases uh, or when solar or wind suddenly decrease. And that filling in of capacity, that's what we call firming generation. And it can be all kinds of different technologies and under Paula's leadership, we've been really focused on not picking a winner with, from a technological standpoint, but instead welcoming all sources and evaluating them on equal basis. So that's what we're doing today is we're in the middle of the evaluation process. Paula, give us some idea of the extent and variety of the proposals you've received. Well, um, let me, let me uh, add a couple of things to uh, Frank's uh, answer and to talk to you a little bit about the variety that we've seen. So, you know, the one comment he made is that, you know, particularly in, sol when in solar, we don't control. And someone may believe that, it, that it's not about who operates those systems. What we're really saying here is that they, whether or not you want to run a solar or wind farm, you can turn it on, but if there's no wind, you're not going to get wind power. And if there's no, no sun in the sky, you're really not going to get much at all in solar power. So that the big driver in those technologies and being really effective is whether or not the weather itself is cooperating, whether, whether or not Mother Nature is somehow interfering in the need to produce that power. So, so 
in terms of how we shaped the flex power bundle, we put a lot of emphasis though on solar. We want to diversify our portfolio. We have, um, we're, we're the largest number one producer of solar power in the state, but we think that solar has its place in our wide portfolio and putting more on the Texas grid is great, particularly from an environmental standpoint. But you do have to leverage that with, as Frank explained, the firming capacity to be able to fill in the gaps when you can't, when the weather's bad and at night. And back to your point, Llewellyn, you really can't store power um, as readily and it's for a long a period. Batteries are great, but, but they have a one, two, a four hour general standard. And once you get past that, um, you, you have a lot of difficulties. So uh, in relative to our other types of technology that we're using, it's, it's a blend, right? So we still don't wanna go all in on every different type of technology that we have um, and, and concentrate on one. We wanna keep it diversified. We have one of the most diversified portfolios already, but in, in total, we actually have seen that in addition to lithium ion batteries, as, as Frank indicated, being able to look at uh, uh, compressed storage, different types of technology. We, we really are very interested in hydrogen. I don't saw, think we saw a whole lot of that. And maybe the biggest challenge with hydrogen right now is we think we're gonna need a partner like the federal government or the national labs. It, it, there needs to be more investment in terms of the, the technology to bring it along, help bring the price down, increase the efficiency and make it more commercially available. So we have, we have some that are having storage uh, timeframes that last more than four hours, but in many cases, they're not, they're not like a natural gas plant. You, a natural gas plant, you can run whether the weather is good or, you know, good or not, and you can run it 24 hour, uh, 365 really, um, or 360, except when you have to take it down. So still, the, we're, we're incenting and seeing different proposals. We think there's a place for us to pilot it, you know, many types of, of technology. We have to make sure that we can create pilots for anything that we think is more on the edge. We'll create pilots. And then we'll try to work with those suppliers and other vendors to be able to take them to bigger and bigger scales over time. And give us some idea of the, the, the more interesting proposals you've got and, and compressed air, liquefied air. How does that work? Right. Well, um, one of the more interesting that I've seen, and this is sort of one of those things where you see an idea and maybe then is not the right moment, but as time progresses and people continue to innovate, we've recently seen um, an example of geothermal uh, power that really has some novel attributes to it that make it a much better resource here in Texas than the previous generations that we would have seen. There is some uh, uh, geomechanical storage that uh, makes use of existing uh, uh, natural gas wells and has a small footprint on the top, but you know uses water in, in novel ways. Um, so there's really a, a a lot of different opportunities that have been brought into. Tell us why geothermal is when you use the natural heat of the earth, right? Now, uh, to give us how has this progressed? The earth remains rather constant. And uh, so obviously the technology for extracting that heat is changing. Right, so 
if you look at a map of the United States, there is a different amount of geothermal you know, heat underground at different places. Texas is not a place that has had, you know, has been thought of as a prime place to put geothermal uh, production. But with uh, advancements in horizontal drilling and things that would have been innovated in the oil patch and the natural gas world, um, there are ways to um, put additional piping and um, use of advanced uh, technologies to extract what heat there is and allow a resource that wouldn't have been previously identified as something that would have been an abundant place and make it uh, viable. The cost is still uh, high in some cases and the cost that we've seen are kind of all over the board, but nonetheless, it gives you a lot of optimism that there is innovation that continues to come and we will ultimately reach what Paula described, that long duration storage, which would be the holy grail uh, in respect to being able to integrate renewables in a really, really uh, uh, full way. Paula, uh, when you're hoping to implement some of these technologies, you've got the request for proposals out, uh, you've got a lot of proposals back, how many? Uh, you might tell us that, but when do you hope to implement those that you choose? Well, I will, I will let Frank talk about the quantities of them, but I think we have a good enough range. I mean, the group is already narrowing down the ones that we think are the best proposals. They're not done, but they're looking at the best proposals in terms of what's being offered, the efficiency, the location, the, those kind of things, and, and general pricing uh, that came from the, from the proposals. But I would say there's a couple of things that we're going to have to do. We are first focused on the solar aspects because you know it's a bundle but the timing can happen differently and we think that utility scale solar as well as some elements of distributed solar within our service territory are the first things that we need to do this year i think by the end of the summer we'll have looked at the different offerings in the rfp and looked at the more interesting different um, long-term firming capacity options and, even, and at that point, we're hoping to have most of the commercial terms negotiated with our what our top suppliers will be. But here's where it gets interesting. Um, we actually have to work with each party. There's a construction period typically that goes along with the development of these projects. So I would tell you that it would probably take us more than a year to start seeing some of these things actually on the, on the ground and implement it. I don't know, Frank, would you like to offer something to, to supplement that? How many... Uh, proposals did you get and from how many countries? There were 10 countries where companies submitted proposals. There were over 650 actual proposals representing almost 300 projects. So there was a tremendous uh, response. And as Paula mentioned, and this evaluation process becomes really complex once you have that many different types of projects to compare. And it's one of the reasons that we want to be really intentional about it and look at all of these projects on their merits and select just the right ones for our portfolio. And uh, what's the time frame on that? Um, are you going to make decisions this year or next month? Or what is the time frame? <clears throat> well, somewhere between this year and next month. I think it's in the next few months that we'll be able to talk more openly about where we're uh, where we're going to come out. But we would like to have capacity start to being to be produced in 2023 from the projects that will have to get built. Some of them would be further along in their development 
and might be available sooner, but uh, we would like to see the majority of them come along in that time frame. 900 megawatts fuller of solar is a lot of power. It's the equivalent of a very large coal plant or a, a, a nuclear plant. It's a great deal of power. Uh, is this going to be produced in solar farms? Or when you say solar, most people think about rooftops, things they see down the highway where so many houses now have panels on the roof. Uh, but that's not where you're getting your solar, right? You're getting your solar, I assume, from uh, utility uh, scale, solar farms. Well, we actually have both, Llewellyn. Um, we have had a, a huge energy efficiency and conservation program and solar has been one of the most rooftop solar, um, uh, distributed solar projects have been one of the most popular aspects of that program. So we have, we have the standard uh, people wanting to put their own systems on top of their homes. We have a whole, a uh, group, large group of uh, installers, uh, separate companies that are certified by us and that can put those in. But we also have community solar. We also have the ability for us to lease uh, rooftops and make sure there's a third party that actually owns the system that goes on people's houses. And we continue to look for different ways that we can augment the, the distributed end. And we are looking at part of this flex power bundle project so we can maybe carve out some of it for the distribution side. I would tell you the majority of it is going to be utility scale because again, we think getting more capacity on the grid, particularly for the summer is, is very, very helpful and very, very beneficial from a price standpoint and from an environmental standpoint. The one thing to highlight though is to your point, you could compare the capacity the same to a fossil plant, 900 megawatts of a, of a, a fossil plant it, it, that you can get probably, you know, 80, high 80s, low percent availability for the year, you know, 90%. Nuclear, you can get over 100%, depending on how you, you run it, because you take only take it down every 18 months for its uh, formal um, maintenance. But on solar, when you say 900 megawatts, again, you're looking at uh, a technology that is optimized by the sun. And so you don't always get, you rarely ever get the whole 900, but even if you got two thirds of it on a, on a great day in the summer uh, and get it, gotten it multiple times during the summer, those are huge benefits to the grid and, and, and really huge in terms of environmental um, improvements. So we think it's all worthwhile. Now the price per unit also on solar is, is really, really good. And it's great in terms of utility scale, the larger the product, uh, the, the project, the, the lower the prices per unit. So it makes itself a really great value package. And again, putting hundreds of megawatts of solar on the grid is really what we need. We don't have enough solar on the grid today. Is there a tipping point? Is there an inflection point at which the, your grid becomes your service area, your, your own CPS grid becomes unbalanced or any utility grid becomes unbalanced because of too much renewable energy and not sufficient backup. Uh, there are people out there, environmentalists in particular, who think that everything can be closed down if it's not alternative. Uh, what is that tipping point? What is that moment where it gets unstable? Is it 20%? Is it 50%? Um, you know what I'm saying. 
when do you have too much of a good thing until such time as a better battery or whatever comes along? It's a good question. There, there is a number. I don't think I know it. What I do know is that we have worked really hard to be diverse uh, from a generation portfolio standpoint. And because we're connected to the overall ERCOT grid, um, different resources types all work together within that, within that grid. Uh, there are places where there is too much solar and that means that prices get very low or you have to curtail it during the middle of the day. We're not close to that at this point. And I would hope and expect that uh, at the state level, we are very thoughtful about that, as, as thoughtful as CPS Energy is about it. And um, I think that we're far enough away that we will have uh, firming capacity and storage available to us. Um, hey, I understand you've got that uh, overabundance of solar power in Arizona sometimes where the value of the power is negative. They're almost paying people to take it because of overgenerating when the sun is blazing, which it does both in San Antonio much of the year and, and in uh, Arizona. Um, what, what would you like to see, Paula, moving ahead? What sort of assistance you mentioned in hydrogen? Is there any other assistance? The federal government under uh, President Joe Biden has uh, made a point of electric vehicles, of uh, clean power, alternative energy. What would you like to see the federal government do vis-a-vis -vis your particular utility? Well, once again, I want to tie some things together. Um, the, the issue with, you know, negative pricing or low pricing in solar actually isn't confined to solar. I mean, right now we have situations in wind uh, and in reality, the natural gas industry, there were situations when they had a whole lot more a supply than there was demand. And so in some cases in natural gas, you saw negative pricing uh, for natural gas. So it happens when, when you're trying to supply a whole system in terms of meeting the demand at the time and making that match, there can be all kinds of, of challenges. So by far, I don't want it to, to sound like solar is uh, doing anything wrong. I will say that um, also transitionally, the issue about what's too much to handle in a tipping point is um, is not an absolute number, right? You know, we don't, I don't know, Frank doesn't know, we don't know what the tipping number is. I would tell you today, and he, he alluded to this, today there are situations when people actually put solar systems on their rooftops, particularly um, two systems together. The real issue is the design of the distribution system wasn't meant to be a two-way system in its current state. And so we have to really think about this broader than just the supply of energy, but how much work are we gonna to need to do to take the grid and actually make it more functional and more robust? That ties me to uh, President Biden's uh, look at what can we do in terms of the broader infrastructure and look at grids, what needs to be done in terms of making it more robust and more able to handle two-way flows of power. So that, again, the brokering of power and the movement of it really goes where you need it and it doesn't go wasted or it doesn't um, make it so that it's it's so negative that it's you're just throwing out that power and it's not really going to be used at all. So I think uh, continuing to, to monitor and try to have um, input and understanding about what President Biden's trying to look at in terms of modernizing the grid is really important. 
Um, as far as technologies, I think the Department of Energy, again, helping in terms of looking at hydrogen, I think many, many people think hydrogen is going to be the place to go. But I also know that they do other projects, but we want to understand, are there technologies that we're not looking at? I, I, would, I would also add, Llewellyn, um, that's the beauty of looking at innovation and technology. We're not supposed to hit, sit here and try to be the ones that actually pick what, which ones are the next best investments. We want to embrace them. We want them implemented in San Antonio. We want to work with the Department of Energy and different national labs to explore how to take something and make it better and better and better and how to make it improved. But we actually have a full-time job, which is 24-7, 365, just, just handling the system that we have, making sure that the seventh largest city in the nation has the power as it needs, as it is needed. So operationally, that's our focus. And we utilize our partnerships with others to help us look at technologies. And we're completely open. Um, we just want to be able to work with another entity to be able to deploy it and ultimately take it to scale. So, so we're not picking and choosing. We're, we want people to knock on our door. The, after the Flex Power Bundle, there'll be a Flex Power Bundle 2.0, a 3.0, and so on. And then we'll still be open. We work with an entity called Epicenter. And Epicenter actually looks at projects for us from across the, the globe, different types of nuances. And I think I, I would love to have um, the president of that entity, Kimberly Britton, joined us one time, and, and she'll give us a really different view on technology that doesn't have to be absolutely functionally ready, but it's something that we want to explore and maybe put it in a pilot. Uh, are you going to uh, have an effort when you get these new technologies and prove them? Are you going to have an effort to spread them to other utilities? Are you going to be able to say, we found it? Uh, we've got the solution here, Eureka. We never want to stop a inventor from coming up with someone by locking them in and saying you can only sell to San Antonio. What we want is we want them to offer their best products for San Antonio. And we want to make sure that San Antonio gets the same best in class opportunities. So as far as your question is concerned, we will absolutely share and we'll work with inventors and developers to make sure that they understand the industry needs these solutions. And maybe the second point is we are part of, and again, Epicenter is helping us, we are creating a regional Texas public power corridor. That corridor includes uh, San Antonio, another uh, municipal utility, New Braunfels, uh, Lower uh, uh, Colorado River Authority, LCRA, and then Austin Energy. So it's up the, the uh, 35, uh, uh, five, the 35 interstate connection, I-35, excuse me, I-35 interstate connection, where we are constantly talking about what we can do. And we have multiple things that we're focused on, operational efficiencies, things that we've learned in, from the pandemic and um, in EVs, as well as other innovations. And so we're all partnering together to see what we could do to actually apply these projects, not just in San Antonio, but over this period, I mean, this, this place, this region, so that we can share. Thank you both so very much for coming on the broadcast. And uh, we will see our viewers and listeners next week. Meanwhile, we hope you come back and report on progress in electricity in Texas. Meanwhile, do wear your mask. That is as important as keeping the lights on. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available 
as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.